Welcome to Rock Steady, an Express North podcast. And now our host, Dr. Fran Bartkowski. Welcome to Rock Steady at Express Newark at Rutgers University, Newark. That was the voice of Adrian Wheeler chiming in there to say good morning to us. Yes. Good morning, Adrian. It's great to be face to face with you, um, you know, even in this virtual way. um, Finally. Because we finally and yet we remain virtually yeah. present to each other so much of the time. So I want to just tell our listeners a bit about who you are for those of them who don't know. Um, Adrian is a multimedia artist and a curator and an arts educator and a very busy advocate for social justice and public engagement around the arts. She has exhibited widely, locally, nationally, and internationally in solo shows and group shows. And I look forward to hearing more about where Adrian has been in her practice in the last year and a half when we certainly, I don't think we've crossed paths in person. Have we, Adrian? I don't think so. I don't no. think so. No. Anyway, good morning and welcome. Good morning. Thank you. Um, you know, one of the things that uh, you say on your website, actually, and which I've known because I've known you for, oh, quite some time. Our children yeah. are around the yes. same age yes. and we yeah. cross paths around them and around Rutgers, Newark. And I've known for quite some time that your family is deeply rooted in Newark and um, in more recent generations in the arts in Newark. And I hope we will get to talking about that maybe when we reflect on the recent past um, or the past few years. But let's let's start where we are, um, which now, as we're recording, is the early autumn of 2021. And I'd love to hear your reflections on the impact of the pandemic in your professional life, your personal life, insofar as you care to say, what has it enabled in the odd ways that this period of time seems to have enabled certain kinds of things, even as it has disabled others? Um, so talk to us, talk to me. Well, let's see. I'll, I'll go to the beginning of the pandemic because I started the pandemic in Senegal. Literally. Yeah. I literally left the country on March 10th. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And I'd had, you know, the trip had been planned for several months and of course everyone was just really concerned and questioning whether or not I would still go. And I said, yes, absolutely. I'm going. It was my first trip uh, to the continent. How long were you scheduled to stay? Well, I was only scheduled to be there for a few weeks, but I ended up there a a month. 
Right. Oh, wow. <laughs> yes, because the, almost in the first week, I think borders started to close, and I had uh, connecting flights through Morocco, oh, and that goodness. was the first. Right, that was the first of the countries. I think they first closed their borders to Europe, and then they just started going south on this on the coast on the West coast and border after border after border. And then eventually Senegal closed its borders, but I was fine. It it was a wonderful trip. Um, and I know you and many people have seen the mural. And one of the things I planned to do when I was there was to take my mother's, that dress, the physical dress and photograph, um, young Senegalese girls. So I actually only, I think I've ended up photographing three. One was the landlord's son, the house that I, the landlord's daughter, the house that I was living in. And then the, um, the daughter and the niece of my hosts. And so they were I, to be wearing the dress? They were or? to be wearing, well, th- that was the idea that they were to be wearing the dress. But after I tried the dress on the first uh, girl, it was really just way too big. So we sort of improvised and, you know, they were holding the dress and we were on the, we lived right on the beach. Mm, mm. So there was always um, ocean sounds and lots of wind. So we, I actually got some very nice photographs of the dress sort of blowing in the wind. Um, I symbolically washed the dress on that side of the Atlantic. So it was really, um, Oh, Adrian. Quite something for me. Yeah. Yes. In terms of the way, and I want to hear you talk about um, how you bring the spiritual into the socially engaged. And here's a kind of beautiful example. And a lot of people listening may not know about this dress that those of us in Newark who know you and your work and the mural, could you just say a bit about this beautiful right, of dress. course, because the use of that dress didn't start with the mural. The use of that right. dress actually started with the Glass Book Project. And right. I was an artist in residence uh, with Nick Klein. It was the spring book arts class. I think it was 2015. Mm. And we were using the Kruger Scott African-American Oral History Project interview. So, of course, the students were to choose. I think we assigned interviews. And then they had to read them. They had to transcribe them. And the idea was to make an abstract portrait of the person whose interview they had um, transcribed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'd gone through the list of interviewees, and it was amazing. My grandmother's brother was an interviewee. Um, the mother of my father's best man in my parents' wedding was an interviewee. There were church members, neighbors, you know, people, parents whose children I'd grown up with, you know, were interviewees. But I decided that rather than choosing one of those interviews, and there was even, a, I think, uh, Nick's interview, that man was born in the same town in Georgia, in Bainbridge, Georgia, as my mother. Wow. So I decided rather than choosing one of those interviews... I would use the document itself and interview my mother because I'd never done an oral history interview with her. And then lo and behold, that interview, the the document itself had been developed 
by um, Clem Price and Giles Wright, and I don't remember who the other person was. Right, the but list of for, questions, yeah. Right, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. for years, Clem Price had been encouraging me, you know, to, he says, you've got to do this oral history. I have the packet together, you know, you anytime you're ready to use it, and, you know, you just say, okay, okay, and then mm-hmm. the time gets away from you, and then, of course, Clem passed away. And there we were with that interview. So I interviewed my mother and in trying to figure out what kind of material culture, you know, she migrated to Newark uh, with my grandmother in 1938. And there was never, look, there are no dolls, there are no toys, there, Mm -hmm. you know, there's, there's nothing that remains of her childhood. But I remembered that there was this dress in my grandmother's cedar chest. And I have the cedar chest. I went in the the cedar chest, found the dress. It had some age stains, like little watermarks. So I crossed my fingers. I filled the tub with water, put in a few dots of bleach. And it just like magic, it cleared up literally in, in less than a minute. So I just, I know I hung the dress to dry. (laughs) <laughs> and decided that I would I would use that because you know when you think of the white dress it just carries with it so many stories so mm. many connotations mm. it appears in so many places in the lives of young girls so um that was her first ceremonial dress after her uh being transplanted to Newark from Bainbridge yeah. Georgia wow yeah, wow. and then it went from the Glass Book Project. Uh, I think the next iteration was in Australia. Uh-huh. Yeah, I think that was the, the residency okay. and exhibition mm-hmm. in Australia mm-hmm. where schoolgirls and other artists, you know, made their own dresses using the template of that dress. Oh, wow. Yeah, to tell their stories. So there were... I mean, just powerful, powerful, amazing stories that were told. You know, there were, I think, two women who were Indigenous Australian. One uh, attached an apron to the dress and told this and text in the form of letters because she was part of the stolen generation. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. she, in her dress, included um, documents, government documents, you know, speaking of uh, other families being unfit to care for their own children. Mm-hmm. And then there were letters that the families were writing to the government to reunite them with their, with their children. And for her, thankfully she was reunited with her family. And there was another young woman who had no idea that she was indigenous because she didn't know who her father was. So she assumed that she was Polish. Uh-huh. And then somewhere when she was about 19 years old, she found out who her father was, he was in fact, indigenous Australian. I don't remember, you know, which group, but she created her own sort of language. And that's what she covered her dress with, with Mark. Mm. It was just mm. Mark making mm. it's her own sort of. Yeah, that's how she told her story. Well, we have ventured back um from what where we were when you said you wanted to begin at the beginning of the pandemic that right. has us around the world already 
And, yeah. And that was so much of that was before the yeah, right. beginning right. of well, pandemic. We before are not pandemic. strict here. We are okay. not strict here about our timeline <laughs> because, you know, I don't know that anyone else I've interviewed has talked about the Glass Book Project. Um, and um, that is a very amazing, ongoing, newer yeah. multimedia artists, students, citizens, collaborative project. Um, and they have a new director who I just met recently. And I, I, I might see about interviewing her at some point before yes. yeah. uh, we yeah. close Carol. up Rocksteady. Yeah. Right. Um, so did you want to say anything else about the impact of the pandemic um, before we kind of. Well, I guess I spent once once I came back, you know, from Senegal, I was pretty much self-quarantine because not just the two week quarantine, but, you know, I have my daughter here who has special needs and my mom, who's 93 and pretty good health, but 93 Mm -hmm. nonetheless. So, Mm -hmm. you know, we just sheltered in place for most of the year. And I did participate in one exhibition um, curated by Eileen uh, Jang Young. She was curating an international online exhibition mm-hmm. to allow people to en- engage with art in some way because they weren't able to go into um, galleries, museums were closed. So the one criteria was that the work should be able to be viewed from the outside. and. I have been like fascinated with um, multi multi screen installations. Oh, okay. So, so yes, I said, what oh, an this ideal is my, time. This is my <laughs> opportunity. So I, I ordered uh, three 32 inch uh, television monitors, and oh. I've been you know collecting. Now this switches from my mother's side to my father's side, and that's okay. where this long history is in mm. Newark. And in, what I've been doing is collect in terms of my art, collecting right. these census documents, um, military documents, um, photograph, and it's in the absence of photographs. You know, the earliest photograph I have from that side of my family is an image of my grandfather with, I'm assuming, two of his friends or maybe relatives when he was in his early 20s. And that's it. So, Mm -hmm. you know, and then there were stories that we had been told growing up. There's a Wheeler Point Road down down neck or in the Ironbound in Newark. And we were always told that, you know, that property had once belonged to the family. So I started this search. I mean, we had gone down there as kids and climbed a ladder and pointing at the the um, the sign itself. So there those images and then I remembered my grandfather's sister you know confirming that yes that property at some point had been in the family and her father had sold it off piece by piece so that would have been my great-grandfather and I'd been searching census documents but for my mom's family because they're much more organized in terms of family histories because they have family reunions which I think is probably more prominent in Southern families. So we have, you know, lots of family reunions and there's always a a book and documentation, but on the Wheeler side, you know, our reunions were sort of 
Christmas, Thanksgiving, just when we were together, but nothing, you know, documented in a formal way. So I started just researching these documents. And then the other story was that, you know, that that story that, oh, no, we were never enslaved. Uh And, you know, that's always problematic. And however, I found an 1830 it wasn't called a census record. It was called an enumeration record of free inhabitants. Uh-huh. And there listed in that document um, were my great, great grandparents. And I almost missed it because it was listed as Clinton Township. And I said, oh, no, that's Hunterdon County. That has nothing to do with us. The next line was Essex County. Oh. And the following line was the postal, um, the postal office was Irvington. So then I immediately did a Google search to see exactly where that was. And turns out that it's from that the area near the post office all the way up Springfield Avenue in Irvington, right down Clinton Avenue. It intersects with Osborne Terrace. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, I am currently living like five blocks from where they may have lived, you know, based on this. You know, they were um they owned real property, they owned land. And of course, this is at a time when the state was agrarian. Mm-hmm. So I guess the move from there was the move then to the ironbound, you know, at the oh, uh-huh. beginning of industrialization. Now, of course, this is me, you know, surmising these things based on the things that I'm, you know, extrapolating from these um, census documents and old um, directories and things that list occupations and it was easy for me to know in those um in the directories in the city directories mm-hmm. which wheelers were more than likely related to me because they were designated as colored there was oh. an abbreviation col apostrophe t <laughs> so then that became um what i used i started printing it on anything clear. I was printing on glass. I was printing on vinyl, printing, excuse me, printing on plexiglass. And I started printing with white ink because it's a difficult ink Mm. to print with because of the lack of viscosity. And then it dries very quickly, but it speaks very, I think, appropriately to this sort of trying to uncover information and, you know, being able to see some things Mm -hmm. and understand some things and just not being able to see other things. And then, of course, it calls into question uh, this idea of even whose histories. And we've had a lot of this conversation around monuments, right? you know, and whose histories are deemed worthy of documentation, of monuments. So I decided that I would start building these monuments to my family just based on the fact that we have remained here. Yeah. I mean, it's been successive generations unbroken. Someone in my direct line has continued to live in this city. And I guess probably Nadira is the last, the last one that will probably live here. Yeah. Mm. And Mm. yeah. So and then uh, also part of this, the pandemic, I was fortunate to receive a creative catalyst fund grant. So I applied for it to finish this project and to also build out a studio downstairs. 
So when I finish the project, I will act actually activate the first floor of my house with this wheeler project. That's oh, what I, I'm wow. calling it. It's a wheeler project mm-hmm. because this is this is the last house. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, it's the last house. My mm. dad was the youngest mm. of the five boys. And, and you are know, you so an only dear and I are the last two. I'm not. I have a sister. My sister has two daughters okay. and a grandson. Okay. Yeah. So, so it's their legacy. Yes. But they don't live I have, in the city. They don't live here. Yes. Right. Now, my, my sister's oldest daughter, my sister and her husband did live here when my oldest niece, until she was about eight years old, I think. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, this house really has held generations of, of this family. So, wow. Well, that, but the, yeah, uh, hmm. I, I, I got away from the, um, the window installation. Okay. Is, yes. The, is that the, the one that, that was taking place now in, no, that's okay. that's the one that I was invited to participate in. And that was the first time I actually experimented with the multi-screen installation idea. Okay. So all of those documents were in slide form along with, you know, a few photographs. And I had also been videotaping my walks in the Ironbound yeah. where I was videotaping and doing still photographs of all the addresses that were listed in those documents. So at some points, it's the retaining wall for where Broad Street and uh, McCarter Highway 1 and 9 all converge. In other places, it's a vacant lot. In some places, it is the same house. In other places, it's the same address, but a different physical building. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And at some point, I will actually make still photographs because I do uh, prints. Because I want to also photograph other buildings that I know were part of the history, you know, different churches where my grandmother's house still stands on Washington Street. So and then there's there's an iteration of it that's up right now in um, the Paul Robeson Galleries in Express Newark, the glass structure. It's like panels of glass that they're connected at right angles and they expand out. So they look like architecture, but then they look like books. And this is in the window gallery or the box gallery? No, this is in the big gallery. Oh, in the truth be told. In the group show. Yeah. Right. In the group. Yes. Right. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Great. So it's in that. And then an exhibition, Noel's exhibition at the library just closed. Uh-huh. And she showed the three screens. Oh. And yeah, and the um, the square panels, the plexiglass panels that were just laying down in a case. Oh, I'm sorry, I missed that because I was actually in the public yeah. library in recent weeks, like oh. in person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. It was a powerful exhibition. Yeah. I mean, she did a tremendous amount of work. I mean, I saw yeah. images on uh, Instagram, but right. yeah, right, yeah. No, she's doing amazing, yeah. amazing work. Um, so. Given yeah. our time frame, talk about this exhibit you're currently getting ready in the Haynes Building. Yes. Okay. Newark Arts Festival 2021. Because, of course, last year, because of pandemic, it was virtual. And I was actually an exhibiting artist in the museum show last year. Uh-huh. And for several years now, I've um, curated one or more exhibitions in the Newark Arts Festival. So this year, I'm the lead curator for the main space exhibition, the 
the highlight um, headquarters space on Broad Street, 609 Broad. It's the old Petco building. Oh, So there okay. are two exhibitions in that space. Um, Solio has curated an incredible exhibition around Dionne Warwick and her, um, yes, her, her Twitter <laughs> profile. Yes. 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 So he has, I think, four or five artists who were invited to exhibit in that show. And it's really amazing. Oh, great. And in the Creative Resilience show, which is in the rest of the exhibition, we have 58 artists, 116 pieces of work. It's amazing. Yeah. It's okay. Installation completed yesterday. And it really is a beautiful exhibition. And these will stay up for just the dates of Newark Arts? Well, no, we are actually going to open the space until the 30th of October. Okay. So every Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, the space will be available for public visits. Okay. I think from 11 to 7. I'm not quite sure of the times, but I think that's it. I got to get myself there in person. Must get there in person. Yes. Yeah. So there are a lot of new artists, you know, artists who are new to the festival new to Newark. And then there are artists who were veteran artists on the Newark Arts Festival. And this is the 20th anniversary of the festival wow. and the 40th anniversary of the Robeson Newark Arts Council. Oh, the Arts yeah. Council. So it's a big, oh. no, no, no. Of the Newark Arts Festival. Right. So it's, it's a big year. Yeah. yeah. And it's the first time we've been in person in two years. Right. Yeah. So this is, I guess, how we're coming out of the pandemic, we hope. Yes, we hope. We continue to hope, even as we continue to, you know, it continues to frame our lives um, in so many ways. So let me ask you two questions. Um, Maybe you've already answered them. I'm not sure. But I would ask you, what have you most missed? in this time and what are you most excited for as you look to the horizon um well i've missed uh, express newark and paul robeson galleries and the work that you know we've done actually work at the gallery but also the work in shine mm-hmm. you know we had an mm-hmm. important program there with the pause program and yeah yeah, yeah. So I, I miss that. I really enjoyed that. Connected with a lot of um, students who also had incredible stories to tell in right. that last year. Your we public school pause program. Yep. Yeah, mm-hmm. we were really focused on these histories, on these students yeah. and their histories. Yeah. Is so there a sense that. that might come back? It to life? I don't we know? know. We don't know. I don't, yeah, I I don't know. Yeah, yeah. And so, anything you're and look, particularly looking forward, anticipating. Well, yeah. Well, I'm anticipating finally getting this space together uh-huh. and, you know, launching the Wheeler project in its many iterations under one roof. And that space will be open to the public in some fashion? Well, I have to figure that out. Yeah. In, in some fashion, because it is in my home. Right. So right. I'm gonna have to figure that out. Yeah, and, and I, as and I you, think w- I, mm-hmm. no, you go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say, and I also look forward to inviting other artists to uh-huh. exhibit and to use the space and offer it, perhaps for visiting artists. 
Wouldn't that be, that's great. That would be yet another, you know, spoke around the hub of downtown. Yeah. And as you were talking about that house and, you know, what you said so movingly that, you know, you and Nadira would be the last to occupy that space. I mean, it sounds to me like a space that needs to become historicized, memorialized, named, you know, I mean. Yeah, a museum yeah. gallery kind of space. Well, and and in, I'm thinking well about into those the things. future. Yeah, yeah, and I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about those things. I mean, I have a great nephew who's 18, very much interested in the arts, in film, okay, and mm-hmm. editing. So mm-hmm. you know, he spends a lot of time here. Yeah, on his computer. Yeah, editing, and he right, but that attachment some of my video, some of the video component, right. And his attachment to the space could be critical to to its future, given his age, right? That I really would like the kids in my neighborhood, you know, to see this Wheeler project and to see this space and to sort of create a framework for them to discover their own family histories and memorialize their own families and, you know, create monuments, you know, whether they're regardless of what form they take. Right. I mean, that space continues your profile as an artist, an arts educator, a curator, right? right? And that that life in that space must, must continue. Um, yeah. Adrian, thank you so much for taking. Thank you. I'm so happy we time. finally got a chance to do this. Yeah, what a great yeah, conversation. And like, like almost all of them, full of surprises in terms of the, you know, the stories you had to tell um, about your, your life as an artist in our really s- incredibly vital arts ecosystem in Newark. So thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. This has been Rock Steady at Express Newark at Rutgers University, Newark. Rock Steady is hosted by Dr. Fran Bartowski. Our engineer is Eric Johnson, and our marketing and promotion is done by Dana Demiani. Our theme music is Rock Steady, recorded by Aretha Franklin, and our outro is an original rendition by violinist Dr. Melanie Hill, a Rutgers Newark professor. This podcast is a project of Express Newark, a Rutgers Newark University community collaboratory. (laughs) 